So I started college at 11 years old. You know, I would say that the United States has probably some of the best systems in place. Speaking during the World Economic Forum in Davos was an incredible experience. I came across one watch. It was dope. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to describe it to you. And if you have it, happen to have it handy, if you could show it to those that are watching this on YouTube. Welcome to another great episode of Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. We have a great guest on with us today. Dre, I am super stoked, beyond amazed to have Dr. Jamar Montgomery. First, he's a, I found him on Instagram. He had something out there and I sent him an invitation and he actually responded. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his bio, but I'm sitting here smiling like a chessy cat because he is beyond whatever I saw on his Instagram. This, this man is so accomplished. It's like Dr. Jamar Montgomery is a highly accomplished individual, which is an understatement. With a diverse range of experiences across multiple fields, including engineering, defense, law, aviation, and education. His academic pursuits, combined with his passion for aviation, international politics, and military affairs, have shaped his extraordinary journey. I found on the internet that he graduated from, or started college at 11 years of age, Dre, but here it says that he started at 14, Either way, 11 or 14, that's amazing. That's long before I started. Dr. Montgomery, <laughs> long before we started. So at the age of 14, Dr. Montgomery embarked on his college education at California State University, Los Angeles. Now, we, outside of that, I did my own research on him. He was He's a U.S. Senate candidate. He's a crypto politician. He's an expert on demilitarizing police expert. He wrote a paper on that. He worked as a moonlighter at the NAACP. He spoke at Davos or at the United Nations. I mean, he's just, he's just everywhere. I, and, and once again, I don't know when he sleeps and I'm just so excited. I don't know where to start. And he's going to talk about his watches. I mean, like, I, I don't think he needs to sleep, but Welcome, welcome to, welcome the, to podcast, the podcast, Dr. Man. Jamar Montgomery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, there's so much to start. I guess if we could start in the beginning. When did you graduate from high school? When did you start college? Yeah. <laughs> well, first, I'm so appreciative of you gentlemen having me on. It is so great to be on. Uh, it's both are actually true. So I started college at 11 years old and then started full time at 14. What? Hard time. Give us, give us the story, man. Give us the story. How did that happen? All right. So what happened was, is um, I was, okay. My parents found out about this particular program where uh, you, my parents, my parents found a loophole at Rio Hondo Community College um, that allowed for high school students and children to take college classes. Now, it wasn't just limited to high school students. They said if you tested into the program, you could take college classes. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, my parents have always been the type to continue to push me uh, and always pushing my limits and seeing what my limits are. So found out about that and started taking college classes at 11. Now, I would go to regular school from 8 to 3 o'clock or 8 to 4, and then... 
I'd be on the road for an hour and then I had class um, at from six to nine. So I was taking one class, uh, one class a semester from 11 to 14. And then at 14, I found out about uh, the early interest program at California State University, Los Angeles. And I started college full time there. Amazing. That's just, uh, and, and so from from your your information I found online, you're real intense in the technology. And then your your legal astromens is just amazing as well. And then your international. If you had to sum up, what is your it's it's I it's like a Elon Musk sort of question because he does so many things. What is your what's the one thing that keeps you up at night? Like you're excited about everything, you do everything. If you had a chance to just focus on one, what would be that one that you would do? Would it be international affairs, like speaking at Davos or working with the UN or working with, I saw that you were working in Louisiana and uh, public defender. Like if you had infinite time, where would you concentrate and why? It would be in international affairs. Uh, let's put it this way. It would be particularly working with governments and specifically with international affairs. And the reason for that is that a lot of our problems result from the power that we give to our governments or don't give to our governments. And it stems from our lack of involvement in our particular governments. So I have always been internationally focused, but I also recognize that all politics starts locally. So if you understand how politics work on a local level, then you start to get a better understanding of how politics affects us on a global level. And uh, I've done, I've been involved in politics at every single level. So now my focus has been on international affairs and international politics because when countries and governments can work with one another, then it makes it a lot easier for the citizens of that country to work together as well. So having a better bond between Africa and the citizens of the United States is a tremendous value that we as regular Americans haven't tapped into. And I think that's unfortunate. So I would like to change that. So that raises two questions. Um, one thing you touched on that, that resonates with me is the importance for the government to work with the communities, right? The challenge, you know, I've done a little bit of traveling, is that it seems like all governments, there's a level of corruption in some capacity. That's one problem. And there's a, a myriad of others. You've traveled extensif extensively and you stud you've studied this. Is there a model that you've seen where there's a society, there's a culture that, that you've experienced where, wow, they have this down pat. They know how to do this well. And if so, you know, where did you, where did you see that? And, and, and talk to me a little bit about that. Well, you know, I would say that the United States has probably some of the best, some of the, some of the best systems in place. And there is a reason why... <laughs> people come over here and it's because of the environment in which they're able to do business and able to make a change and make an impact. Uh, there are countries all over that do particular things much better than the United States. Uh, but each, each solution has its own problems. 
each solution has its own problems. So corruption is something that each country has to deal with. How each country deals with that corruption is based upon their culture and their value system. So I was in, I was in Nigeria, and that was the first time that I had a police officer ever ask me for a bribe. It was the first time that I had a quote unquote federal official ask me for a bribe. But it was also the first place in which I had a problem and I made one phone call and that problem went away. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you don't have that level of access. You, you don't have that level of access to power in the United States as you would in some of these African countries. But that level, that access to power also has its own challenges as well. Sure. Sure. It makes sense. Um, yeah. Makes sense. So talk to me more. And I saw that online when I was doing some research about you. Talk to me more about uh, the work that you were doing in Nigeria. Uh, uh, is that where you had the, uh, was it blockchain that you're working? Is that? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Talk to me about what was going on there. So I was speaking at the Africa Next Conference and shout out to the, the, the organizers of the Africa Next Conference. I was the only American there. Uh, at the conference, and I was speaking on digital identity, blockchain, and digital identity. So, in environments where you don't trust the authorities, you don't trust the person next to you, meaning that you don't have systems where you trust the integrity, um, trust the integrity of the systems. Blockchain works great for situations like that. And particularly when you start to have digital identity systems, basically. I can prove who I am by my, by an app on my phone, and we trust the app on my phone because it's on the blockchain because it uses the encrypted technology that helps to keep things secure and unchangeable on the blockchain. So when we start to have digital identity, that means that instead of you as a country not trusting my passport, you're able to trust my passport because all these countries have uploaded their citizens' passports onto the blockchain in a secure manner. So therefore, I'm able to verify identity. Um, identity is so important because how do you open up a bank account via your identity? How do you apply for a mortgage through your identity, right? How do you have access to government services through identity? Uh, when we find a way of digitizing that in a secure manner, there are a whole lot more things that we have access to, not only in our own particular countries, but also internationally as well. So I was speaking on the benefits of digital identity and utilizing blockchain technology to make that happen, and also explaining how we already have versions of digital identity in the form of Twitter, your Twitter username your Instagram username, and the more pieces of data that you have that link directly to you gives you more a robust and thorough identity profile. Makes sense. So there's a lot of benefits. You clearly listed a number of them to having a digital identity. Talk to me a bit about the downside of that. Because when I think about, and Smiley and I have talked about this before, like I'll say, I don't want to download, download this app, but I'll download that app. He's like, Dre, it doesn't make a difference. You're out there. You know, they've got you already. Talk to, me, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what the downsides are, if any, that you see with having that digital, digital identity. 
the downsides, uh, particularly with all of these apps, uh, the downside with digital identity in from an app perspective is that you don't own your data. That's the major problem. But having digital identity where you are in control of your data, meaning I have my digital identity online, but I'm able to determine what pieces of my identity that you have access to, what pieces of information you have access to. Well, the best person or best entity to have control of that or to issue that is the government. However, your government is always trying to figure out different ways of controlling that. However, your government should only be concerned about, am I receiving my taxes and am I giving the right benefits to the right person? By creating digital identity uh, fr framework, by creating a digital identity framework and also the digital identity and educating their your citizens on, hey, if you don't want Twitter having access to your location, right? If you just want Twitter to verify that this is who it is, you can only give them, you can determine whether or not they only have access to that. Your bank account, your 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 bank only needs access to this level of information or Twitter only needs access to this amount of information, but your bank might need a little bit more information, right? So now... The downside is, once again, is that we don't own our information. But as we move into a more blockchain-based society for th things like digital identity, instead of companies owning your data, they will be competing on who best processes your data. Now, if you notice all your data, the only reason why these companies want your data is to sell something to you to keep your attention, to find out what gets your attention, keep your attention in that particular platform, and then sell something as a result of your attention being there. Wow. This this is, I mean, you touched on so many things and I, I, I want to, I like the way you, you define throttling your data to whoever you want to give it to or sell it to and authorize your data. But for our listeners, as you mentioned blockchain and you're 99% of the planet or most of the time they're talking about blockchain and, and finance and cryptocurrency, but you're talking about it from a totally different perspective than blockchain applications. Can you just summarize, just summarize for the layperson uh, what the blockchain is? And is it one blockchain or is it multiple blockchains? Or do you see a world five years from now where it's decentralized blockchain. Dre will have his blockchain in, in Nashville. I have my blockchain in Tampa. Is individualized, or if you can, just for the layperson listening. Absolutely. So you're absolutely correct in that blockchain often is talked about in the context of finance and cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. but blockchain is the underlying technology for that. The simplest way to think about blockchain is think of it as a ledger or an accounting book. Uh, for those, I'm going to get even simpler. If anybody has ever used Google Drive or Google Docs and have watched somebody, have shared that Google Drive with somebody, and you're watching an update be made in real time. So blockchain mm -hmm. is basically a ledger that is constantly being updated, a Google Doc that is constantly being updated. However, nothing can ever be erased. So you can see when somebody adds something, but it is designed so nothing is ever erased. 
So therefore, if you need to have a record, a timestamped record of when something happened or something was uploaded, you have that. And it also traces back to the person who made that change. So we can verify time and we can verify verify identity in a sense. You can verify it to a particular address or wallet address or user. We, let's say it like that. You could verify it to a particular user, but you don't know who that user is unless they've upde- up, uploaded their identity there. I appreciate it. I apologize for smiling because I, I've been researching you and, and you're like, when someone tells you they've been in crypto, you're like, when do you create your wallet? Because you created a wallet way back when. So since you mentioned the wallet and the blockchain, just layman's term, what's the difference between a wallet and, and the blockchain? It's another part, but, and then if you can relate, relate back to where you were saying that you created your wallet and that's how far back you go. I guess it was back then you had to create your own because no one had Ethereum to create a wallet for you. So if you could just give a little bit about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way that you can tell who's been in the game any real amount of time is you ask them, when did you create your wallet? And what point back to your wallet and show me your wallet. Because if you were making transactions, you know, people are like, oh, I'm a crypto OG. And it's like, OK, well, show me your wallet address. Prove it. Right. Right. It's back to 2017, maybe even 2016. Uh so, you know, and there's transactions that were going on. So I ask people to do that. Now, what your wallet is, is basically where you store your your crypto. Think of it. I, I love to use analogies. Think of it as the first time that you created your Gmail address. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And your crypto is like your email. It's just data. That's all it is. So your wallet is the same thing as you'll hear a wallet address. So think of it almost mm-hmm. as your email address, but it's it's this layer that allows you to transact data and also allows you to transact money. Okay. No, that's awesome. Thank you for the simple. And I'm going to turn it over to Drake, but I want to circle back to the, the Davos and the internationalization. And, and you mentioned Nigeria. So I, I'm sure you're aware of the Brexit uh, with the countries and the currency and I think it's underpinned or foundational is blockchain and then what's going on with Niger and the uranium and, and the coups in Mali and Burkina Faso. From your perspective, as it, it, once again, I've never spoken to someone who spoke at Davos. So I'm just so excited about that. If you could just, once again, my hats is off. Very, I mean, Dre and I meet a lot of people, but it just seems like a G7 white people thing. And I'm just so honored to have you here. Can you just, a, talk about Davos, and then just bring it down to what's the current affairs with these coups, and then I'll turn it over to Dre, if, if we can. If absolutely, right. absolutely. Uh, speaking during uh, speaking during the World Economic Forum in Davos was an incredible experience. And a colleague of mine, um, uh, Michael President Anderson, his nickname is Prez, uh, invited me to come and speak because he was uh, going to be speaking and performing there uh, Mm-hmm. During the during one of the one of the most exclusive events that they have there, and I was speaking on blockchain and politics and how we can utilize something called decentralized autonomous organizations to bring more transparency and bring more voter engagement to our voting process. 
Now, in Davos, you're surrounded by the wealthiest people in the world and some of the most powerful people in the world. Um, you'll bump into the CEOs. We bumped into the CEOs of, of Uber, the CEOs of Politico, um, oil magnates, uh, the minister of, of, of finance for Congo, just just minister of, of, of mining. Uh, for for the DRC, like these are the people that you just run into while you're going to go get lunch, and being able to be in that that environment and seeing how how the world really works, uh, and who are the people that are making things happen and how things are made happen, uh, was it was a unforgettable experience, very unforgettable experience. And then being able to educate others about how blockchain will be used in the future of voting. Um, that was an, ex that was a, an incredible experience as well. People are understand blockchain in some ways, but how to implement it outside of a financial aspect has some is now something that's starting to be explored, and I enjoy being on the forefront of of how to use blockchain politics. Wow! Wow! Awesome. So tell me this: so um, you authored an award winning book titled "Militarized <laughs> Police and Unpermitted Protest," which earned you the best research award at the NAS conference. Is that right? Yes. Talk yes. to me a bit about the the research you did for that book and its its implications. Absolutely. Uh, it was actually a research paper. Um, it was a research and policy paper. The book that I authored is called Montgomery's Declassified Guide to Succeeding in Law School. Hello. Uh, <laughs> the research paper. Uh, the research paper I'm, I'm very, very proud of, uh, particularly because of when it was what inspired me to write it and when it was written. Okay. I was inspired to write it. I had a colleague that was uh, at the Ferguson protest mm. and she was talking about how one of those nights that she thought she was going to die. Um, she was an organizer and a protester. And so I was like, how do we stop the things that we're seeing in Ferguson where, you know, that was the first time the, the American people in mass saw police officers with high caliber rifles uh, pointing them at civilians outside of a hostage rescue or hostage negotiation or bank robbery kind of situation. So, it was something that had been going on for years, but it was now something that had been publicized and like, whoa, this is this is what happens in America. So I wrote the paper, began writing the paper in 2014. Yes, began writing the paper in 2014 and uh, finished it basically 2014, sent it out for uh, for competition in 2015 because part of the requirements for the class i wrote it in law school uh the first part of it was that we had to send it out for publication we had no first part we had to finish the paper and present it the second part was we had to send it out for publication well i sent it out for publication and it got picked up by a publication well it was still a perennial topic uh it was still a a relative um what's the best word i'm looking for uh relevant 
still a relevant topic. And I ended up presenting it at a conference, the National Association for African American Studies, and ended up winning an award for the best research paper. Wow. It wasn't just a research paper, but it was also policy uh, and legislation that was attached to it that dealt with militarized police in protest. Mm. So um, when we look at militarized police in protest, what we're looking at are police officers who now have military training, military hardware, and also in somewhat a military mindset, but do not have the level of accountability and professionalism and discipline that military members have. Mm. So it's like giving, um, it's like giving a a, a thirteen year old a, a BB gun, tr- showing him how to use a BB gun, but he has absolutely no concept of good judgment. Mm. So when you give a 13-year-old a BB gun, you can expect a whole bunch of broken windows. You can expect a bunch of people getting shot. You can expect a bunch of irresponsible behavior, uh, uh, irresponsible behavior with someone who has great power in their hands. And that's what we've been seeing from our police forces, particularly here in the United States. But you would think if you would take off some of the, 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 the insignia, you would think that this was in a third world country from how our police have treated protesters. Yeah. You also touched on a book that you wrote. Tell me again, the title of that book and what that's all about. Absolutely. The book I wrote was called Montgomery's Declassified Guide to Succeeding in Law School. And it was a book that I wrote because I was different in law school. I was much different in law school. Law school was literally a breeze for me. The biggest challenges I had were the challenges that were outside of law school. So I was giving everybody, everybody, when they looked at me, they were like, Montgomery, you never look stressed. And that's what they called me. They called me by my last name. It's like, Montgomery, you never look stressed. Like, dude, I came from working with the Navy. I used to work with weapons of mass destruction and working with Navy captains who chew me out, you know, and that could potentially be my job. Um, I'm not worried about a law school professor embarrassing me or making me look stupid. I'm here to look stupid so I don't look stupid in the courtroom. You know what I mean? So um, I came in with a totally different mindset and with some strategies that helped me. So from literally how to uh, prep for your cases to how to manage your professors, I went through that entire process because, you know, Law school is the first time for a lot of people where they're they're hit with a fire hose of information. But coming from working for the U.S. Navy, I was used to that. So I had to develop a system on how that how that made it easier for me. Um, So I wrote that book as a help to other law school students. And it's a a, a very simple book with actionable strategies um, and things that they can implement easy. And uh, yeah, all the lessons that I had going into law school and also some of the lessons that I learned uh, while in law school are in that book. Awesome. Oh, oh, so, sorry, smiling. So smiling. Certainly, where, where can, oh, where can right. they find the book? Uh, on, it's on Amazon. On Amazon. It's on Amazon. Right. We, we will definitely include it with your podcast in the link. So any links you want to provide, please send those as well. But so you well. mentioned the Navy. So are you a, a military representative? Were you in the Navy or you just worked as a defense contractor? Because I saw in one of your podcasts, you mentioned you have top secret security clearance and all that. So were you were you military? And what years were you in the military? Were you ROTC or, 
Are you a Navy guy or how does that work? <laughs> well, I always wanted to be part of the military, uh, but I was not a member of the military. So okay. uh, there's most people think of military uh, or they think of military and then they think of defense contractors, but they never think about uh, Department of Defense employees. And so the Department of Defense has a number of companies, government owned companies that they operate in order to help the warfighter or in order to manage the defense contractors. Um, I was part of a company called NAFSI, which is a government owned it's a de Department of Defense company. So what that meant was that I worked, I had a civilian boss and I also had a military boss. So I worked on a base. So I had a, a civilian boss that managed um that 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 managed me as an employee, and I also had a military boss uh, that maintained the military decorum. Uh, if that cool. if that makes sense, no, it does. Mm -hmm. So I did that for just under five years. I worked on cruisers and destroyers, not only United States cruisers and destroyers, but I worked on Korean cruisers and destroyers as well as Japanese cruisers and destroyers. <laughs> Impressive, very impressive. So I want to circle back to uh, the the conflict in Africa. Just your perspective from an international perspective, um, with the military coups and the uranium. I saw that the Niger representatives increased the price of uranium from eighty cents to two hundred. So I'm applauding them for that. But from a person on the outside looking looking at that versus someone who knows geopolitical affairs and and from your your bio, you have your finance degree as well. So you can look at it from the legal, the financial, the technical. What's your what's your assessment on just the sub-Saharan region and what's going on in Africa? The African leaders are waking up and are cutting the puppet strings that France, England, and the United States had over them. Mm -hmm. They're charting their own destiny. And you're now finally having leaders who understand that, who are willing to take charge. Now, we look at coups. We give coups a, we've given coups a bad name because whenever we've talked about coups, it has always been through a westernized lens. And what I mean by looked at it through a westernized lens is that it's always a coup whenever it's always a coup or it's bad whenever it hasn't served the interest of the United States, when it has not has served the interests of France or served the interests of, of, of the UK. It is a revolution whenever it serves the interest of the United States. If you know, if, if, if people have noticed, if you notice that they will call the, uh, what happened in Egypt, They'll call that the Arab Spring, and they'll talk about the revolutions, but those were coups that were that occurred. But whenever we talk about what's going on in Africa, they're always talked about as military juntas and military coups. So we have to be very aware of the language that is used because there's a connotation associated with that language. What we're seeing in Africa is a revolution. They're cutting off the puppet strings of their European and American uh, <laughs> dictators, and now and now recognizing, hey, we have a place on the global stage, and we will be respected and treated as such. 
uh, not as the peons, but as partners. And anybody who is going to sell out their country, we're getting rid of them. Because there's no reason why Africa is looked at as a poor continent when 80, 70 to 80 percent of the world's resources are located on that continent. Everybody, I agree. Everybody has gotten rich off of Africa. In fact, if it was not for Africa, we wouldn't have had uh, the Manhattan Project where we receive the uranium uh, and the plutonium that we use to create the first the first atomic bomb utilized in war. Preach. Right. Yeah, I'm so glad you said it that way. Yeah. I was speaking with someone not long ago, and they said, oh, well, there's so many coups. I was like, well, look at America. But I love the way you explained the revolution because George Washington was a general. This was a coup here in the United States. But we call it a revolution when it's in our interest, and it's a coup when it's something we don't want. So, no, thank you for that. I, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I was thinking one other thing you mentioned do you see a technological play with the young people? Because I see them all on TikTok updating what's going on. And it seems like they, like, I, the, the, I can't say his name, but the, the, the leader, the president of Burkina Faso, and Ibrahim. he was in Russia. Ibrahim. Ibrahim. Traore. Say it again. Say it again. There you go, him. Ibrahim yeah. Traore. Traore, yeah. Well, president, he said, he said, there's no way we should be poor. We're looking here on the, and everyone view us as a poor country. And like you said, we have all the minerals. He's like, no, we're not. And he's only 35. I'm so impressed with that young brother. And so thank you for talking about that because I think um, by them reclaiming, one last question and then we'll turn it over to Dre, but how does all of this play in with the Brexit? The, I see people fighting, countries trying to become a part of Brexit. Uh, not Brexit. I'm sorry. What is it? Um, BRICS. BRICS. That's what I'm saying. I said Brexit. Sorry about that. BRICS. How how does that how does that come into play from a United Nations perspective? Seem like the U.S. or the West is concerned, or should they be concerned with BRICS, or is that something that's irrelevant? The United States uh, should be very concerned with BRICS. Mm -hmm. However, the United States. Uh, BRICS has been in existence uh, definitely since I've been t watching BRICS since 2014. 2014, okay. Um, wow. The United States didn't believe the United States made some strategic and tactical miscalculations all over the world. And the way in which Africa was treated, Africa was treated as, hey, I'm just going to put my military bases here as well as bring some of my defense contractors here. And I'm not necessarily going to pour into your people. I'm going to pour into whatever leader has allowed me has, has, that I was able to broker these agreements with. When we look at BRICS, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And we they just got done adding six more members, Ethiopia, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, am I? They just got done adding six more countries, um, and another country in 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 South America. Oh, uh, BRICS represents BRICS rep represents a pull from the United States controlled kind of world. 
where the United States is the policeman and kind of tells everybody what to do. BRICS represents uh, an international conglomerate that is saying, if we don't do business with anybody else, we have enough wherewithal to do business with each other. Are they starting to try to create their own currency as well? Absolutely. But that takes so much that that that's we're still another five to 10 years away from that. Uh, and the currency that would be first created would be a currency that the governments can use. So an example of gov of a currency that only governments can use is called SDR, special drawing rights. Uh, that is the current economic system, the current regime that is used to make large 100, 200, $300 billion payments amongst countries. The first thing that they will do is create a government currency so that they can have a, a method of accounting. So if it's it's likely going to be based upon uh, a basket of of resources most likely that makes the most sense so this amount of gold this amount of oil this amount of 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 minerals will be equivalent to each other and that will help them be able to have a system of accounting so basically recreating a a gold standard but it'd be more of a mineral standard that's what i foresee then as that is stabilized and they figure out a way of, okay, we have a balanced way of accounting, then there's going to be a currency that the individual citizens can use, similar to what the euro created and the eurozone, that now here it is, all these countries will accept it. We might have our own particular currency, but we will utilize the euro amongst each other. Does, so when we look at BRICS from that standpoint, we're still some years off from that. However, you have Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. The reason why South Africa is so important is because South Africa is one of probably one of two, if not the only respected financial center, um, respected and trusted financial center in Africa. Who's the other? Ivory Coast? Ghana? No. No, no, probably South Africa is probably, probably the only. The only, okay. Yeah, probably the only, because I'm, I'm running through all the different countries. South Africa, because the Nigerian banking system isn't trusted. South Africa's okay. is. Okay, interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. I got, I got to tell you, Dr. Montgomery, um, you know, we're winding down here, but I have like 30 other questions I'd, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to ask you. But, but you know, I, I want to respect your time. You know, I won't, I won't keep it for three hours today. I'm greatly, I'm greatly appreciative yeah. of this. This is information that needs to continue to get out and our people need to understand. And that has been the major challenge of... You'll watch the news, but everybody is talking above you or they're utilizing lingo that they can say, we've told you, but you don't understand the lingo. So you don't understand what's been said to you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Let me ask you. Yeah. So Spyler and I are on the same wavelength. <laughs> so one of the things I came across on your um, and, 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 and you're absolutely right. I'm glad you said that, Dr. Montgomery, in terms of like the frequency that's communicated to us is not one that most people can actually receive. So this, it's just a fact, but um, lighten things up just before we get into the final four questions. While I was on social media, uh, I'm a watch guy, 
right? I just enjoy watches, um, period. I'm not like some exclusive watch collector. I just enjoy them. I like the designs, whatnot. I came across one watch. It was dope. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to describe it to you. And if you have it, happen to have it handy, if you could show it to those that are watching this on YouTube. It's a gold watch. The bracelet is, it's elegant but rugged. The back clasp um, reminds me of a clasp that you would find on a Rolex. Um, and the face... It's not faceless. It has the the uh, the lines for the numbers, but the numbers aren't there. So it's just, just the lines. And the part that really caught my eye is, you know, you know most watches say things like Rolex, um, um, Casio, uh, whatever it has the name of that watch on there. It was nameless. There's no name on the watch. Talk to me about that watch. Did, did you design it? Did you build it? Um, tell me more about it. And, and was that intentional not having a name on there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're talking. About Hello, there they are. <laughs> there they are. Yeah. You're talking about my, my custom built Jay Montgomery watches. Um, it's been, I love watches myself. Okay. I love watches myself as well. And what happened was, is that I like that style of design. I like that classic, timeless design. The challenge is, is whenever you go with that particular company, uh, it may be two years before you actually are able to get one. And you may not necessarily even like the particular designs that they offer. So what I have done is I'm creating a, a doing 50 watches a year, 50 watches a year, exclusive, uh, and we're providing NFTs with them. So that serves as some of the authentication and also brings you into the J. Montgomery community, the J. Montgomery world. Um, these are our prototypes. Okay. These, these are our prototypes, right? Yeah. So look at this. Yeah. It's got the, the airplane. Yeah. This, is actually, this is actually my favorite. Okay. Um, I didn't know if I was going to like it. It's got the guillotine on the dial okay. and it's got the... The air, the guillotine is a pattern that's on the okay. dial. Then it's got, for the indices, it's got the airplane and then rose gold hands, uh, rose gold bezel, okay. rose gold and steel bracelet. Yeah. This one is all rose gold. I like it a lot. Yeah. yeah nice. Uh, the, the, right? Now, that so, one, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a flashy guy. So you would never catch me in a gold watch. But I like that one because it's elegant, it's rugged. It doesn't say, hey, look, I'm wearing a Rolex. Like if someone looked exactly. at it, they'd just say like, huh, I wonder what that is. And of course, Absolutely. of course, I'd, I'd be proud to say, yo, that's my, that's my new Jay Montgomery. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we were. That's exactly what we were going yeah. for. That's exactly what we were going for. Um, like I said, these are our prototypes. We're waiting for our, uh, our branding to come okay. in. But these were what we were doing was making sure that our movements were good, yeah. uh, going through the actual testing process to make sure that the watches, how they wear, uh, what kind of compliments that we got okay. on them. Uh, but you're going to see the Jay Montgomery logo and branding on on all the, the next production pieces. Okay. So this was me being able to see, all right, do I like this case or let's change up the cases, let's change up the dials and things like that. Okay. This actually wasn't the... This actually, this dial wasn't the original dial that was in there. Ah, 
interesting. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so uh, my entire watch building journey has been very eye opening because it can be very frustrating building watches. I can imagine. Very frustrating. And now you start to understand why companies charge as much as they do because of the actual craftsmanship that goes into making the watches, the amount of time and attention to detail that goes into making them. And um, the next the next batch that we make, um, the next batch that we're going th that we make are going to be very, very exclusive, okay. very exclusive. So uh, where can uh, listeners um, find those watches if someone wants to check them out and purchase one? Absolutely. Dr. Jamar Montgomery dot com. Uh, we're going to also you'll also be able to find a link to our actual watch site uh, on on drjamarmontgomery.com. But you can go and take a look at what we have there. And uh, yeah, uh, if you're interested in purchasing one, which I would very much encourage you to do because your watch is a signal of wealth and you can sit there. People will judge you based off of your watches and your shoes. So if you have on nice shoes or a classy pair of shoes and you have a classic watch, people already have a, an idea of who you are. And that's what we wanted to do. We weren't we didn't want to create replicas. We didn't want to create um, counterfeits or knockoffs. We were creating something that was uniquely yours and uniquely um identifiable love it love it all right so let's let's uh let's ease into the final four here uh one question before we get to the final four that we ask everyone is you've shared a lot dr montgomery uh i feel like i feel like i know you uh kind of know what, what's important to you and uh your thoughts on the you know our society and where we are versus where we need to be here's one question what's one thing that most people don't know about you that you wish they did? Mm, that's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know if I want to uh, let out. The <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy, I'd be, I enjoy being somewhat mysterious. Okay. I enjoy that. Okay. I, I enjoy that. Um, what's one thing that I wish people knew about me? That is a great question. You know, uh, people wouldn't know, uh, but I am a classically trained dancer. Hello, like ballet, Alvin Ailey type, or or uh, you know what's, or... what's crazy? It, what's uh, ballet tap and jazz? There it is. There it is. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that that's impressive. impressive. Yes. And, and once again, I know I said it when I started reading the bio. When do you yeah. sleep? Watchmaker, <laughs> military expert, combo <laughs> speaker, blockchain writer, <laughs> so, 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 watch craftsman. Tell me this, just so, so we know, just so we know you're human. What is it you can't do? <laughs> you know, I don't know how to skate. Okay. I don't know how to skate. Okay. I don't know how roller to skate. skate. Okay. Uh, I roller skate. Okay. I do not know. How to skate. <laughs> Uh, that's fair. You know, I, I used to go to the to the skate parties just to go dance. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> go dance and go holler at the there girls. you go. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but let's see. When do I? You know what? I have really started to prioritize rest now uh, because for so long I was running myself ragged. I was running myself ragged. Um, what we do not understand is the value of sleep and the value of rest. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can do we this whole hustle culture and everything is okay if you have systems in place that allow you to do that. But if you do not give yourself the time of rest and time of of, of quality sleep, you're not going to be good for anybody. Your judgment is going to be off. Um, so the thing is, is that uh, make sure that you have in, invest in quality sleep. So if that means getting good sheets, good pillowcases, good pillows. I just got done spending $80 or $70 on a pillow cube, and it has improved my sleep tremendously. They say you spend the majority of your time on your feet and in your bed. And so if you're going to spend your money, you should spend it on your shoes and what you sleep in. That's what someone was telling me. I couldn't agree more. Like it's funny is that uh, people two watch doc, right? Because I'm 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 known for wearing two okay. watches, but I'm also known for wearing Doc Martens. There you go. There you right? Go. Yeah. Those I used to always see people wear those shoes, and I couldn't understand why. But I was like, there's got to be something to it because you just see a girl wearing them in a dress. Yeah. You see, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it was just like, and they're like, oh, I love them. Yeah. And then I bought me a pair, and I was like, "Oh, oh I, I get, get it. it now." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, the first final four question, Doctor, is if you had a chance to have dinner with anyone alive or dead, who would be three other representatives at your dinner table of four? Who would you want to have dinner with, and why? Alive or dead? I'd want to have dinner with Jesus. Jesus, one. I'd want to have dinner with Jesus. Um, I'd want to have dinner with Mugabe, Mugabe. Mm-hmm. and I'd want to have dinner with Sankara, Thomas Sankara of Burkina mm-hmm. Faso. Awesome. So that, do I, that's three, right? Or do I need that's to- three and why and why? No, you're the fourth, but I'm the fourth. I'd want to have dinner with Jesus because I would want to understand I would want to understand his level of faith and how how he understood his life's mission, when he understood his life's mission and how to walk in his, how he was able to walk in his purpose. I, I see Jesus as a real man and that did extraordinary things, but was giving us the keys on how we could live that same way. Um. The second person, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. Robert Mugabe was probably the most educated, was the most educated leader in world history. Uh, this man got got like six degrees and three of them he got while he was in prison. Robert Mugabe was a world leader. Robert Mugabe was a world leader who was also a freedom fighter who then went on to run his government. So I would want to understand how do you operate as a world leader who has, and we often don't associate academics with warfare. Mm-hmm. So how did he make that transition and how did he balance what all everyone around him was trying to tell him about not doing it to going to actually fighting in the bush and then being respected and then bring stability to that region? The last person would be Thomas Sankara. 
Thomas Sankara was uh, the leader of Burkina Faso from 1983 to 1987, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that is who uh, Ibrahim Traore, uh, a lot of Ibrahim Traore reminds a lot of people of Thomas Sankara. Thomas Sankara led Burkina Faso to being one of the most literate, highest literacy rates in Africa, led the largest vaccination campaign in Africa, and uh, implemented a system of fitness throughout the country. Uh, I would want to have dinner with him to understand what kind of fearlessness that he had to have as a as a soldier and also as a political leader and how he balanced that power with his responsibility. Uh, Thomas Sankara was killed. Jesus was killed. Um, Robert Mugabe was the one led his country for 28, if not 30 some odd years. So being able to take three great men who were leaders, uh, who were persecuted and who were reviled and hated and what was it that they needed to help keep them on task and on purpose and on mission. Love it. Awesome. Wow. Wow. Love it. Can, can I come to that dinner party? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, question for you. What's been your greatest success? My greatest success, my greatest success has been believing in myself. Mm. That has been my greatest success. Uh, the reason why is so many of us have 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 gifts, unique gifts and talents within each one of us, yet we allow others to define what our success is and others to define who we are. And when we don't go on that investigative journey of who we are and what we have to offer in the world, we don't feel unfulfilled. We don't feel fulfilled. Um, and we often don't make the kinds of bets on ourselves that allow us to be the impactful people who we were called and designed to be. So believing in myself has been my greatest success. It has been the 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 source of all of my success. Uh, the author of my salvation has been Jesus Christ, and the the source of my power has been Jesus Christ. And believing in myself and believing in the the the, the power and gift that He's put within me has been the 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 catalyst for my greatest success. It's clear that wow. the belief in yourself has been one of the key drivers that's taking you to to you know the heights that you've achieved. So I, I can see that. Yeah, smiling. Well, I, I the third question in the final four is Superman flies, the Hulk has his power, his strength. What is your superpower? My superpower is that I am able to see a destination and figure out all the ways of getting us to there. I'm able to see Z and get us all the way from A and get it and, and move us to there. Oh, the other superpower that I have is uh, they would say the gift of gab. That's a superpower. The, the, the oh, give me a superpower for sure. That is that is a superpower. Um, being able to not uh, there's no situation that I can't talk myself into, and no situation I can't talk myself out of. Uh, but that gift also manifests itself in diplomacy. Being able to understand. 
uh, other perspectives and other dynamics and other dimensions and being able to navigate, uh, create a clear path in which we can have some agreement. Awesome. So if you were to write a third book, well, actually the first was a paper the, the, and then you had a book. If you write a, a second book, what would the, what would the, an autobiography, what would the title be? Uh, I'm actually working on that right now. As a matter of fact, my autobiography, um, there would be several titles and I would probably, and most likely have to do it the Churchill way and write several autobiographies. Mm. Uh, the memoirs of a Montgomery man. I like it. I like it. So that, that would be, like that would be it. the first one. Wow. I love it. I love it. That would be the first okay. one. Yes. Yes. Awesome. I'm working on my autobiography okay. now. Man, uh, Dr. Jamar Montgomery, I, like I said, I was getting the chills and, and I, I, once again, when I found you on Instagram, I, I'm so honored that you, you gave up your time to be on this podcast and just doing my research on you. I got notes of paper right here. And I'm just like, is this the same guy? I had to cross index your identity. I'm like, this guy is a Senate candidate. He's a crypto politician. I was just like, is this the same person? So I'm just so elated to meet you and thank you for your time. I'll just say ditto. Um, one, 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 one other thing I would add though, is that, yeah, you know, it's, it's great seeing people that look like us, you know, um, in different spaces that aren't typical um, because of the impact that we can have in those spaces. And so I'm going to keep following you um, to, to see your trajectory as it continues to rise. Thanks. Thanks for being on the, uh, on the podcast. Dre and Smiley, thank you so much for having me on. It has been an absolute pleasure. All right.